During the Second World War, Mali were exempt from conscription and encouraged to work in urban areas to support the war effort. Before the war, 84% of Mali population lived rurally, and by the end of the war, just below 80% lived in the country's major cities. This quickly caused tension with Pakia residents, being unexposed to cultural differences in an attempt to solve the problem Otada was developed into a primarily state housing area by the Auckland Regional Authority, where Māori were funneled into beginning this whole hub for culture. New Zealand's economy started doing fantastic because of North America's involvement in the Korean War, and for whatever reason, they needed a lot of wool, and so our wool prices tripled nearly overnight. To support this and other sudden booms in the economy, New Zealand had a lot of Pacific Islanders come and work in New Zealand on work visas. But then, our economy crashed. Our wool prices went down by like 30%, and a lot of exports with the UK were cut in half. The national government at the time then blamed all of this on overstaying Pacifica, typically who were staying in central Auckland, and took people from their homes while they slept, coined as the Dawn Raids. Pacifica people have occupied different parts of Auckland since the early 1900s. From 3,600 Pacific people here in 1951, nearly 94,000 to 266,000 at the 2006 census. The Pacific had come to Auckland. And due to gentrification and the promise of cheaper property opportunities, many who initially settled in the central suburbs moved south. You can imagine what sort of stereotypes have been perpetuated by media about a place full of Pacifica and Māori people, especially young Pacifica and Māori. As of the 2018 census, South Auckland, determined as Mangere, Otahuhu, Otara, Papatoetoe, and Manurewa, is made up of 46% Pacifica and 20% Māori. And this 46 and 20 is compared to the overall New Zealand percentage, which is 8% Pacifica and 16% Māori. In 2020, when Josh 685 Savage Love hit top single in the United States, the New Zealand Herald reported it as Auckland teenager Josh 685 reaches number one on US single chart. This did not sit well with anyone from South Auckland. Quickly, the community came together and called New Zealand Herald out, resulting in them fixing the headline to read South Auckland teenager. Unfortunately, misrepresentation within the narrative isn't the only problem South Auckland has had in the media. This episode, we're jumping in and out of the last decade, analyzing what kind of rhetoric has surrounded South Auckland. So without further ado, let's unpack. first article we're going to look at is from Stuff, published on April 14, 2010. There is no headline, but the tagline says, The government has announced plans for a new prison at Whitty, south of Auckland, that would be the first public-private partnership prison. 20, 2010 is a long time ago, mm. uh, bear in mind. That is uh, 11 years ago. And to give everybody a little bit of context, the National Party had been in government for two years, and Judith Collins uh, was the corrections minister um, and had been raging on about plans for a privately owned prison. Um, By Judith Collins, you mean Crusher Collins, right? 
Absolutely. She wasn't called it yet because I believe the Crusher Collins incident happened in 2011. For those who know, uh, she hated, uh, what is it called? Spoy races. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and wanted their cars crushed, <laughs> which is still funny to this day. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a long time. We're what, 11 years now. First comment comes from Duncan. Duncan says, at least they won't have to go far from their homes. So, uh, okay. A little succinct, little piece of uh, negativity there, Duncan. The, the optimist in me is going that... Duncan is someone who's read up on literature around resettling prisoners and communities and understands that to give somebody who was previously imprisoned the best opportunity to becoming a quote-unquote upstanding member of society, you'll want to resettle them in a community that has their friends and whanau around them. Now, that's just stats. That's just research. You can look that up. That is what it is. Now, that is the optimist in me. Now... I don't know if that's the case in in this in Duncan's comment. You Optimus Prime over there, bro. I'm trying, you bro. You Optimus Prime. I'm that trying, is, that bro. Is not, Duncan ain't read a thing, first yeah, of all. Right. That is not what he means at all. Yeah, Duncan's right. trying to be a negative little piece of... Anyways, look. I, I like I like that, though, because you, you were like, oh, you know... He's kind of... Duncan is kind of right. However, that's not what Duncan We means. know that Duncan is playing off a terrible and damaging stereotype um, that prisons are made up of people mostly from, from South, South Oakland. And that is... First of all, that's incorrect. Um, second of all, it's terrible. Why would you say? Why would you say? What if this is two thousand and ten? You feel like you're just dropping this gem and leaving? Yeah, I don't know what's going through Duncan's mind. Yeah, it's not. That's that's that ain't it, Duncan. That ain't it. Next comment comes from Christine. Christine says, "Hopefully, it will be a training and rehabilitation center as well. Locking people up without opportunity and education for change doesn't work." Do we have our first, like, an early applause? That's, a, that's an early applause. Yo, kudos to Christine. That's an applause That's for an you. early dub. Thank you. That's that's so true. Yeah, rehabilitation approach um, to correctional facilities is is the go. 100%. I mean, I think the, the purpose that we hope prisons have is to rehabilitate people. Now, if you look at prisons, say, overseas, especially in Scandinavia, somewhere like Norway, they have prisons where... You'll set up in your own apartment. You have your own resources to do your own cooking, cleaning, etc. You're given these opportunities to uh, have the autonomy to make different decisions in your life versus the current New Zealand prison system where you don't have autonomy to make any decisions in your life. That does not mirror society at all. So is that rehabilitation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It also doesn't teach anybody remorse. 100%. You know, punitive punishment is really, really whack. Um, and I think we've learned not only from reading up on this um, sort of situation, but also looking at the correctional facility in New Zealand yeah. and all of the headlines to do with it. Punitive punishment, don't, it's not, like people are just getting angrier. And like the previous prison punishments, oh, I think that goodness. just shows, that just shows people's views of the New Zealand correctional system. Exactly, exactly. And, and punitive punishment and taking people out of the society, it's, it's a really interesting um, sort of rhetoric, right? Because... In a way, it's very much linked to taking people out of a society and treating them as resources. And a society that can get rid of people in that way, like it, like almost disposes of them, shows that they are an, a like an infinite resource. Hundred percent. I mean, you just you're just taking away all of their rights. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the whole rehabilitation thing that Christine is on, Kapai, like that is. Exactly, Would love to see it. No, that's not what we're seeing. That's not what we're seeing at all. Next article is from Stuff, again, published on March 15th, 2013. Headline says, Brawl prompts school crackdown. 
2013, once again, we're, we're way off into the past, but um, this is one of the many articles published about the fights in South Oakland. Um, a few fights at schools, I think, you know, it happens. Bro, there were plenty of fights in my school. They are not published in the news. You reckon? I mean, same here, to be honest. That yeah. Is, that is... They keep it under wraps. Oh, true. True. I, I mean, it. everybody knew. Look, 315 top field. Really? You knew. You oh, knew where the fights were going on. Dang. I, I feel like in Ikatai College, it wasn't that, like, publicized. But there would be there would be fights. There hella fights. There would be texts that would go around. And you're like, oh, oh okay, true. who knows? And like, there's a school of 1500. If everybody after school, instead of going home, is rushing to the top field, you know something's about something's to go down. Something's going on. Something's going on. And it ain't no candy shop, I'll tell you what. Nope. First comment comes from Jane. Jane says, when will society start taking responsibility for what's happening around and their own actions and stop the blame game? It's yeah. a great comment. Yeah, Jane, Jane, Jane is right. Um, the continuous stream of rhetoric that South Auckland high schools are violent and, and, and troubled. You know, I feel like the, the whole narrative is kind of dodged having to talk about the systemic root of the problem. You know, like he, here we are talking about the, oh, these kids are violent, they're troubled, they're fighting and all oh, they, like the school needs to crack down. When actually, what are the attributes around that that causes this? 100%. You got to look. You can't just look at these fights that are occurring in isolation and be like, oh, they're just violent. What? Are you implying that the students at that school are just inherently more violent than the school, than the kids at Auckland Grammar? Imagine that. That's just that. That's almost what you're implying, what the, the rhetoric is kind of implying. You're actually right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And it's like, no, that is absolutely not the case. And that's a very colonial mindset of like, oh, people looking at, especially historically in black people. I mean, people are thinking they're like, oh, Africans are more violent towards smaller brains. And it's like, no, why don't you look at the society around them and try and understand what's led to this occurring? Yeah. Like what's, what's led to these kids having these sort of fights? Because one thing that I know led to a lot of fights looking back in school is impatience. Yeah. Kids were not willing to wait for anything, and they sort of walked around with this mad impatience on things and and watched how people talked to them and didn't want to do this and that or whatever. And so kids were already agitated when they got to school. Yeah, and you got to understand, at the best of times, humans aren't good at expressing their emotions. Oh, Now, when you're a child at a school and you've got your friends that are annoying you, it's it's just a recipe for kids not being able to express their emotions in other way apart from physically lashing out. Exactly, exactly. And as we said, it happens at many schools around the country. It just so happens to be the only ones that are reported on it from South Auckland. Next comment comes from Scott. Scott says, Ivana, irrelevant if they are youth or not. They brought dangerous weapons to school. They are clearly security risks and should be labeled as such. Expulsion sounds like the only answer. And jail time too, probably. It's not worth risking innocent lives at school. Oh, yes, Scott. Scott, this ain't... This, Scott. You know, I'm not even going to say this in it. First of all, uh, Scott mentions Ivana because this is before you could tag and reply to comments and that sort yeah. of thing. And also every comment would read chronologically. It's not like the most relevant or the one that has the most likes or whatever. This is just the next comment to be uh, posted. What Ivana says, we'll never know. You weren't able to find it? No. Nah wasn't maybe in, in the thing is this is 2013 people don't really have facebook accounts anymore like that like and you know what this comment i don't care what ivana said scott that's not that's not it <laughs> ivana could have said anything getting scott kids, it. <laughs> yeah getting kids involved in the criminal justice system at an early age is so detrimental for their overall well-being it's a horrible idea and taking a look at the point that scott makes around expulsion sounds like the only answer well 
that's just incorrect. So when I was at school, when kids would get expelled, Mm -hmm. they were fortunate enough that they had parents that could say, work from home. They Mm. could take the day off so that they could look after the kid while at school. True. Now that can't be said for all families. If you take a look specifically, say in South Auckland, which is a high population of essential workers say for example if you're in south auckland that has a high population of essential workers and your parents are a a nurse and a teacher they aren't able to just take the day off and look after you at home it's not that easy so what is that kid that's been expelled going to do at home facts and you already have especially during covid a lot of kids having to drop out of school to get jobs to support their families so in this case and in most cases expulsion is not the answer at all so scott I ain't about it. <laughs> you know, you you yell this guy like the teacher and you um I ain't about it, bro. Wow, wow. No, you're you're absolutely right though. Expulsion isn't the whole thing at, at school of like, oh yeah, I wish they'd expel me. I'm trying to get up on Jack Three. You know, like not every kid can go home and just play on their Xbox. No. That no. Absolutely not. Some some kids if they expelled for more than three or four days, they gotta get they gotta get a job. Exactly. Because if, as you said, if the parent is taking time off or whatever like that, and, and they're in the you know classic essential worker style where there's not much annual leave, there's not much sick leave, you ain't really going to your boss and being like, I got to take care of my kid. They're going to deduct some hours from you. Yeah. You got to bring some hours into the household. Exactly. So yeah, not, not as many kids are as privileged, you know, probably as Scott to, oh yeah, you know what? Expulsion, that'll be fine. Just that'll teach the kid? No. No. No, absolutely not. And the whole jail time too, probably. Oh, I didn't even want to get into that. We don't. Re- we don't even really need to. Um, yeah, they're, they're saying that. But at the end of Scott's comment, Scott does say it's not worth risking innocent lives at school, which puts in this interesting little little rhetoric of, you know, these kids are are problems, and there are innocent lives at school that don't need to be, you know, about this sort of dangerous. And I'm. Who are, the, who are those lives? Because I believe that every life at school is innocent. At, at, like at that sort of age, all youth are innocent. I think what Scott's saying is, is that if a kid has decided to bring a weapon into school, whatever that is, mm-hmm. then at that point, they're no longer innocent. Mm-hmm. That at that point, they are looking to cause some form of damage. So no longer have the innocent tag attached to them. Okay. So I guess it's really interesting that Scott's only caring about the kid once they uh, have a weapon on them. Next comment comes from Cherie. Cherie says, Good, treat them like they are in a prison if they want to behave like that. Take away everything, put security in the school until they behave like little humans and not rabbit animals. About time these kids got some consequences for their actions instead of the PC brigade giving them a timeout and a flowery talking to. Oh my goodness. Cherie, Cherie, Cherie. Oh my goodness. Um... The, take away everything? Take away everything. What do, what do they mean? And put security in the school. This is a person that, like, I'm already telling, this is a person that's never had to run with the justice system or only had to walk through a metal detector when boarding a flight. Like, this isn't a... Yeah. This isn't someone that's speaking from any sort of experience. Um, to behave like little humans and not rabid animals. Um, yeah, look, this this whole comment is, is away from it. But I, I want to touch on the whole PC brigade thing, giving them a time out of the flowery talking to, because that's how it seems that, you know, the other side of this, the ones that are fans of the punitive punishment, the ones that are fans of, you know, them removing people from society because they're an infinite resource, are the ones that look at rehabilitation like a flowery talking to yeah. and giving them a time out. Um, because they've never actually needed to be rehabilitated they've never been in those situations no they and they've never been as we said like never been in that environment where it it could be 
an actual thing of, of you know mental health. It could be something of distress. It could be something of trauma. Um, yeah, the, this 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 yeah this comment doesn't really strike well with me. Um, it, it it doesn't have any sort of respect in it. I don't know. I also don't know. You know how when we go through comments and we're like, this person clearly loves children. Yeah, a lot, and they're doing it in a very dangerous way by saying that people shouldn't have kids. Blah 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 blah. You can kind of tell that they love children. Or on the other hand, of like, no, this person actually just overtly loves sports. Yeah, and they don't realize that they're kind of being xenophobic here, and we want to help them out. I don't know any point of what Sheree is being positive <laughs> about here. I think Sheree loves Law and Order. Ugh, terrible show. So after the absence of a joke, we'll just head into an ad break. So grab a cuppa, grab some food, and we'll be back before you know it. We hope you're enjoying the episode. Just chiming in to let you know that we have a wavy new website. UnpackNZ.com is the home of anything and everything Unpack related, including merchandise. As we upload the episodes for season three, prints will simultaneously become available to you of the episode artwork, as well as other little gems, so make sure you head to the website and bookmark it. We also have a section where you can become a patron. Patreon is how you can join the Unpack community and support the podcast with all funds going straight back into the project. As a patron, you get access to bonus content that will never, ever be posted on public listening platforms. We're building a wonderful community of people and would love it if you joined. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. If you do, make sure to share it with your friends and whanau. That's the easiest way to support us. Welcome back from the commercial break. I hope you had time to, you know, get that cuppa, actually sit with that zinger of a joke that I ended with. That was nice, right? I'm not going to laugh. Okay. Next article comes from Stuff, once again, published on September 21st, 2017. Headline says, Family of eight found sleeping outside South Auckland Citizens Advice Bureau. Um, very, we're getting a lot closer to where we are today, and obviously child poverty, um, since probably the early 2010s was on a steady, steady increase. Um, and as we know, it, it got much worse as we get closer to 2020. Um, it was also Jacinda's big gig about the upcoming election. I remember in 2017, she wanted to reduce child poverty by X amount. Yeah. And since then, I think we've seen a lot less of these stories, whether they're less publicized or they're happening a lot less. We don't actually know. We can't really speculate. That might actually be some confirmation bias, but moving forward, keep going. Nice. Call me out when you see it. Um, let's get into it. First comment comes from Jody. Jody says... So overhearing of these poor destitute families with large amounts of kids, we actually couldn't afford to have more children, so we didn't. This is a very common rhetoric people have when they just discuss, oh, why do you have such a large family? Yeah. And like, I think you, we were talking about that, about this before, about how contraception is definitely a privilege. It's definitely, without a doubt, a privilege. Yeah. Holy. Oh, like, I like even, even sort of condoms from the from the male perspective of can your school does your school have that fishbowl of condoms i in the in the nurse room or the health room i remember us getting free condoms at school and then also no uh education about condoms at all but just like here you go but i think we did at school but that cannot be the same 
that can't be said for all schools around the country. It's not the same for my school. Put it that way. Yeah. And I and I don't I don't understand why people think that contraceptive is just like an, an easy option now. Also, on the on the female side, we look at the contraceptive pill. Oh. The side the effects, side effects for that, in that horrible. Why? Why would yeah? Like not nah, like why would you think that this is a privilege of like oh no just take the pill and whatever like I'm not recommending anybody to take. It. I'm not saying yeah no you should definitely do that. Cause the side effects. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so when we're looking at comments like these of like hey look just don't have any more children it's like well look it ain't that easy it's really not it really isn't that easy also kind of looking at the whole i'm so overhearing about these poor destitute families with all these kids or whatever from that perspective from your i want to say european perspective new zealand housing is built for you 100 it, it is it is built for the average Pakia family of two kids, one partner, only living with those sort of people. But when we look into the Maori family structure or the, the housing structure for Pacifica families, you might be living with your uncle, your auntie, your grandfather, your grandmother. And I know definitely in, in my context in Barbados, that is a common thing to be living with more than your immediate family. Yeah, and if you look at the New Zealand housing stock, they really don't have a lot of intergenerational housing. So that's housing that is suited for families that may have three or four generations living in one household. So when people say, oh, there's some, there's surely some housing out there that you can get, it's like it's not as simple as that. And given the importance, we talked about this in the last episode, of whānau to Māori families and Māori communities... It's incredibly important that they're all living under the same house. Exactly, exactly. And so Jody completely skips over this step with the whole argument of, you know what, the only reason that they're out there sleeping outside of the Citizens Advice Bureau is because they have too big of a family and because they couldn't afford the children that they have. And she's, she's stepping over the, you know, the housing problem, the housing Absolutely. crisis. She's stepping over the whole child poverty crisis. Also, what Jody may not realize they're stepping over is sleeping outside the Citizens Advice Bureau is is a lot of layers to that. For those who do not know what the Citizens Advice Bureau is, you can get legal advice um, free. You have to wait um, quite a while because it is free legal advice. However, it is probably one of the only places in New Zealand you can get them in most small towns where you can talk to somebody who's actually practiced and studied law and they can give you that advice and you can walk out of there like more knowing of your situation and for for a family to be sleeping outside of there i wouldn't be surprised if that was somewhere that they you know that they knew that they needed to be at or that was familiar to them um obviously we don't want to speculate at all because it could just be a great place for shelter absolutely but it is a little bit concerning next comment comes from tish tish says i would be interested to see how many of these homeless slash homeless families are working if they are unemployed, then perhaps they could think about moving to an area that does have housing available. Isn't there an entire town up north with an old meatworks where every house is vacant? I would understand them wanting to stay if they had employment, but if they don't, why not get Wynn's assistance and move? That's a very big tongue twister of a, of a comment, first of all. So we've discussed homelessness in depth in the previous episodes in season two, uh... Tawikia Tremari, I think, part one. Mm. And we broke homelessness down into three key segments. Transitional, episodically, and chronically. Now, families in this situation fall mostly into the former, which can be described as the following. People who are typically homeless for a short period of time. Families dominate this group, and it's normally caused by redundancy, 
relationship or family breakdowns and health issues. They actually account for more than 80% of the homeless population. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, I don't think I've had any experience dealing with somebody who is transitionally homeless. And I can almost guarantee that you have. Mm -hmm. These are the people that may actually live in between the lines. You have this view of what homelessness is, but that's not the case for most people. That friend from university who needs a place to stay while they're looking for a rental, that counts. That cousin who just broke up from their partner and they don't have anywhere else to stay, that counts. So I just wanted to firstly normalize and destigmatize being homeless. On the same previous episode, to kind of call back to the comment where they're asking about the homeless numbers, mm -hmm. I actually calculated that based on University of Otago census data, there were approximately 33,000 transitionally homeless people in New Zealand. So with that number being so high, you're bound to know one. Jeez. That's a, that's a lot of people. And yeah, I like how you challenged me to think about how many people I actually know that have been through homelessness. Because right. we, absolutely, we've, absolutely. All, we've all had that friend who's struggling to find, to find a place in Wellington or Auckland or wherever you went to university. Absolutely. And as we look at the housing crisis in New Zealand, it, the number will go up. And to touch on what you said previously, and looking at the comment where they said, if they are unemployed, then perhaps they could think about moving to an area that does have housing available. Where is the intergenerational housing in New Zealand? There isn't. Yeah, I couldn't even answer that. Like, thing. there isn't. There mm. aren't those houses that are built for families that have multiple generations living under the same roof. And going even deeper to the comment, Whoa. if you're a family that is struggling to find housing, do you think that you've got large sums of money to help with moving costs? Now, I'm going to look those of you in the eye that fit in the young student slash young professional demographic. Damn. Now, we are part of a group that move possibly every single year, and I guarantee you have experience with the miscellaneous costs that are associated with moving that you have no idea about that when you move into a flat, it's like, oh, great, we don't have a fridge. No one told me that. Guess we've got to get one. Oh and those costs 100% add up. And Keep yes, 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 wins do offer support for moving costs. But we've discussed in detail the traumatic experiences people have had when seeking government support. So yes, it's there, but that doesn't mean that it's just as easy as moving to a place that has jobs and housing available. Get that man some ice. He is on fire. That's that's my class for you. Hey, thank you. Yeah, my voice can't need that ice. You my went, you went yeah, off yeah, yeah. right thank there. You. Hey, thank oh you. my lord. Um, facts on facts on facts. And the the tower they're speaking of, the one in Northland. What do you? You know I got that 414 of the Northland, bro, I got you. The The comment is kind of backwards because they're talking about an old meatworks where houses are vacant. Yeah. The only place that I think they're talking about is Moriwa. And everybody in Northland actually knows it's Moriwa. Um, it's an old freezer works and it's not operational anymore. So you have those sort of towns in Northland where, yep, they're freezer works, they brought jobs here. Yep, you have a mill, they brought jobs here. And so people build around that mill. When the work for that goes or it becomes desolate or defunct, people also leave. Yeah. Some people don't. Some people don't because obviously then prices go down, um, you know, rentals go down, things like that. But Moriwa is one of those places in which there's like the houses are still, there's still people in the houses. And even if you're telling somebody, hey, yo, go move to Moriwa because it's going to be cheaper there or whatever, there's no jobs. Yeah. People that live in Moriwa have to either work at the liquor store there, the BP there, the Foursquare there, or they have to go to Whangarei, Kirikiri, Kawakawa, Paihia for jobs. And also kind of getting into the kind of town Moriwa is, first, okay, first of all, 
There's no flights there. There's no airport. There's no landing strip. You can't actually get a bus to Moriwa. It is 246 oh, kilometers away wow. from South That Island. is very, very far, actually. This, yeah, it's, it's like, how am I supposed to get there if you're telling me, yo, just go up there and just go up there and move? <laughs> what? Also, I don't think a moving truck finna, finna do it. 246Ks? Sheesh. And yeah. that's going to be an expensive move. I remember when I moved my stuff from Wally to Auckland. The, it's, it's pricey, that's, bro. Yeah, that's got to be that's gotta be trash. But also, go deep into it. Moriwa, fun fact, hosts the largest gang riot in New Zealand history. Damn, bro. Yep. The largest gang riot. And stories on stories have been told to us, you know, growing up in Kaitai about Moriwa and the sort of gang history that it has and driving through it, you know, understanding the history of what this place means to people. What do they say? My little town. What is it? My little town, your town, M town, O town. And I'm like, dang, like if you can just roll that off the tongue. Yeah, it's cool. You know, when you go to a party and someone shouts out their postcode and you're like, Oh, he's about it. Yeah. He's about it. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never met someone from Moriwa not about it. Like they all proud of their little town. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it hosted the largest gang ride in New Zealand history where police and ambulances were trying to get to the situation and gang had blockaded both entrances into the town because they were like, we finna deal with this. Yeah. And of course, all of those that are listening to be like, oh, police can easily defuse the situation. Unfortunately, um, now the number isn't confirmed, but seven uh, police officers died. Yeah. Because they trying to get involved. The gang's like, no, nah, we can get it from here. I believe it was a retaliation attack. Yeah. Um, yeah. A whole lot of information about that is littered online, actually on Facebook. Um, but telling somebody to move there... Nah. <laughs> nah. Nah. And I think there's more opportunity in South Auckland, for real. Yeah. Next article comes from New Zealand Herald. Published on the 19th of November, 2019. Headline says, Ihumato. Crown considers loan for Auckland Council to buy land. Uh, as those of you who have listened to us in our, I believe, season one, we do have an episode on Ihumato. We, we completely unpack um, the land dispute, the Te Tiawaitangi, um, and all sort of negotiations going on with Ihumato and how it is very, very similar um, to a lot of events that have happened in the past. So go listen to that uh, if you are not familiar with the situation at Ihumato. But if you have listened and you do know, Let's jump into these comments. First comment comes from Ian. Ian says, An obvious push from Cindy to Goffey to have the public fund this. Does she have any more weakness to expose? Hmm. Okay, so first of all, and, and just to give you a, an idea about this, at the time of this article, Grant Robertson hadn't been to Ihumato. Um, neither had Jacinda, um, even though they were formally invited by the Iwi. So Ian's coming from this point of view of like, Cindy is trying to push this problem away towards yeah. the Auckland City Council, which uh, Phil Goff at the time was leading. And the whole situation is quite, quite messy. And I, as I said before, they were formally invited by Iwi. Yeah, the Iwi formally invited Jacinda and Grant Robertson, and they decided not to go. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like, uh, it is a little bit weird because as we've said Ihumato, it is an Auckland dispute, but also it does involve the Crown, so the government need to talk on behalf of that. But um, I don't know about the whole, does she have any more weaknesses to expose? Because it is a complex case. Absolutely. Next comment comes from Lee. Lee says, 
more money down the toilet to fund others' ethno-narcissism. As with narcissism, it won't make them happy, just more entitled. Uh, what? Yeah. Lee, um, what are you... On a, okay, on a literary level, let's, I think we should break this down. So for those who do not know, narcissism um, is the excessive interest or admiration of oneself or physical appearance. So is Lee asking if people are centering their ethnicity as kind of better than others? Is that what Lee's asking? Yeah, exactly. And he could have said it in a way that is ethnocentrism because ethno-narcissism isn't actually, it's not a term. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So ethnocentrism is like, I think what Lee was trying to um, go towards, but ethnocentrism, as as we've said previously, it's centering your culture to the point where it's excessive. And it's also the first ingredient in supremacy. Um, and supremacy of one's culture. And that is absolutely dangerous. So Lee's trying to say that, okay, more money in this Ihumato dispute is to center the Maori culture. So does that mean that the second half of the sentence doesn't actually make sense? Yeah. That Lee's comment just... It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's actually asinine. It doesn't need to be there. It doesn't really make sense because Lee finishes off with narcissism. It, with narcissism, it won't make them happy, just more entitled. Um, Lee is kind of trying to bridge the gap of like, oh, so individual narcissism won't make them happy, so they need to be a collective and center their own culture to make them happy. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's it, like that. It, the, put it this way. Lee is trying to say that centering your culture, in, like as for Maori, is a bad thing because individual narcissism doesn't make them happy and we're throwing money down the toilet to ensure that Maori is a center culture of New Zealand, which is a problem in Lee's eyes. Um, but I think the overall thing to take home here is don't be fooled by big words and comments. <laughs> yeah, because when I saw that one in the script, I was like, all right, Kai, you got that one. That's not, <laughs> that's not me, bro. That's I'm, not me. I mean, to handle it is, is absolutely nothing because there's just like, it doesn't really say there's anything. Nothing there, yeah. You know, when you like, you, you give a kid like a new word and they use it 12 times throughout the day and you're like, that's not what that <laughs> that's means. That's not me. what that means. You don't have to, you don't have to say that. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what Lee's done here. I think he read it somewhere and was like, yup, that's me. <laughs> Last article comes from the New Zealand Herald. Published on July 5th, 2020. Headline says, Biggest blessing. South Auckland teen Josh685 reaches number one on UK charts. Tagline says, Josh685 is the third New Zealander to ever top the UK singles chart. Congrats. So firstly, shout out to Josh. That's an amazing achievement. I mean, what the article is like the third, yeah, the third New Zealander to reach the top of the charts. That's incredible. Now, I remember this when it was happening where mm-hmm. a lot of people were talking about the headline because mm-hmm. a lot of the headlines were talking about how it discussed Auckland teen and not the specific South Auckland teen that a lot of people were looking for. The headline that we just read out is actually the edited version because originally it did say Auckland teen. And so here we're seeing that previously when anything bad is happening in South Auckland, they're stating South Auckland. But when anything good comes out of South Auckland, they're just branding it as Auckland or New Zealand teen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we just what, we just saw the family of eight sleeping outside. Yeah. The South Auckland Citizens Advice Bureau. We just yeah. saw the, the South Auckland schools cracking down on the brawls. Yeah. 
Josh was an Auckland team for I don't think that long because the comments definitely let New Zealand Herald know what's up. Oh, really? Yeah, all of these comments, and I don't think we actually have to go into any of them, but they were absolute support for the teenager on getting the number one, which is a massive feat. Or they were, oh, Josh used to be my student. Oh, yeah, I've always been a fan of Josh since 2017. Oh, that's oh, yeah. nice. Because that's the community of South Auckland that actually came out and were like, yo, we support this dude. Yeah. And if you scroll a little bit deeper as well, you can find the comments before the article changed headlines of like, oh, now he's just an Auckland team. Oh, so people went off in the people comments. People went off of like, yo, you got to shout out Marurewa and you yeah. have to shout out South Auckland. Yeah. You have to have Which to. is dope. Which is absolutely. Absolutely. You got to give South Auckland their flowers, bro. You have to. You have to. And the fact that they were like, yo, New Zealand teenager in the tagline is quite interesting because Josh 685, little known fact, 685 is the area code of Samoa. Oh, what? I just presumed that it was going to be an area code of, say, somewhere in South Auckland or just, nope. in, or just in Auckland. I mean, yeah, we like, you know, you know, the whole thing with like postal codes and, and, you know, like little towns in New Zealand. That's a massive thing. But no, 685 is Samoa's area code. So then it, it really begs the question, should the headline even say Auckland teen? Should they even say New Zealander? Because, I mean, in this case here... And I don't. We don't know why Josh decided to use those numbers, but it's almost as though Josh is saying that they feel more, or they're shouting out Samoa more than they are New Zealand at all. Yeah. First of all, I don't. I very rarely doubt that Josh was even approached about what they would like to be called. Oh, absolutely not. First, there's, first, there's no way. First of all, second of all, we've definitely seen it on. Nope. Josh is a New Zealander now because number one of the charts. Yeah. There's no way that the media were ever going to be like you know. Madurewa or South Auckland. No, no. There's like, uh, we've, we've already seen it in so many different articles of no, Josh 6A5 is New Zealander, Kiwi, number one, UK, US singles trial with the Jason Derulo number one hit Savage Love, all that sort of thing. When in actual fact, I think everybody does know where Josh is from. Yeah. Because even hearing the beat of that song. Oh, yeah. We're in, like, if you heard that and you were told this artist is from New Zealand, where do you think they're from? The postal code of 0685 is from Fairley in New Zealand. I don't think Josh is from Fairley. Yeah. I don't think that beat going off on the tavern. Yeah. It really is. Nah. I also, that is also not a central Auckland beat. There is no way that, that, yeah. No, absolutely not. But it's interesting that you push on that as well because, right, like identity is such a massive thing to those who are from cultures and communities that are always put down in the media yeah they're always oppressed absolutely and and we know that josh685 from their instagram and their twitter are always bigging up south auckland always bigging up the community you know that sort of provided you that platform to get where you are and you can see it in the comments yeah all over the comments people are are big fans and you know repping south auckland and repping that sort of thing but touching on the 685 part as you said you know that's the samoa area code and we talked about it, you know, previously in the in the intro about the the massive amounts of Pacific Island people that came to Auckland um, as as a part of that big massive boom of the economy that we yeah. had, and making a name for themselves and sort of making this their own identity. And you know, it's so cool to see a kid who obviously has ties to Samoa be taking South Auckland as a part of their identity. But that little bit of 685, I like how that's a little bit of... It, like, it's still in there, right? 100%. It's, all, it's not suppressed, but it's very subtle. It's almost as though, regardless of where Josh goes, regardless of what they do, they're always going to be Samoan. So with Josh here, we can see, as we've said, 
the clear representation of Samoa and South Auckland. And we're so lucky to be living in the digital age where identity can be so spanned. We can sit here and represent Zimbabwe and Wellington or Barbados and Kaitaia and not really be questioned for it yeah. because that's like our online moniker. Um, but then it has the question of offline, the identity that we have to put in place and, and actually represent that outside when we walk outside. And it's interesting because in many cases we may get to choose our online identity, right? Like in this case, the 685 representing Samoa. But in some cases, with a lot of the representation of South Auckland, they seemingly haven't even had a choice. Now, it's important to understand that neither Kai or I are from South Auckland. We may have a connection to the place based on the people around us, but we can't represent that community. So we thought it wasn't fair for us to sit here and in the episode. We want to give our love to South Auckland, the cultural hub of the country. So to do so, we're going to end this episode with an excerpt from an article titled Intro to the 267 by Louisa. We hope you enjoy the episode and enjoy the excerpt. Clendon Library had this couch. It was shaped like a flower with a hole in the middle. Most days after school, I would sit inside the hole and read chicken soup for the soul. There was a day when I stopped reading at the library and started ashing cigarettes by the skate park instead. I was 12. A day came when I couldn't break my hopes and dreams into pieces to share anymore because I barely had enough for myself. A day where I stopped saying Fafetai Yesu and started asking why us? A day where I got sick of holding on to memories of being blissfully ignorant about my sister coming home from being rushed. Sifts knocking on our front and back door. Friends who never even got to 18. A nana picking and packing fruit for less than minimum wage at age 75. You're so strong. Is what the government tells us when we plead for reparations like a shitty high school counsellor. We shouldn't have to be so strong. There comes a time when our people falter under the pressure of living in a white system. Our brown boys desperately seek some sort of community. So they rip their colours, live by their area codes and die by the hands of boys who look like them. Teachers used to and still do tell us that we will never be worth something, that we will never get anywhere. I've come to realise that if kids don't feel seen at home, don't feel understood in school, they try to find solace in the streets. The same streets that track a liquor store on every major street corner. The same streets that cops roam at night looking for suspicious brown kids who fit the description of their assigned criminal, only to pull out their guns on innocent boys buying a drink at the dairy. How many of us have to be crushed by the weight of systemic injustice before everyone sees us as children again? Fucking floor somebody.